0: Hey there, welcome to the Creative Metaverse podcast. My name is Ryan Kingsline, and I'm the founder of Vertex School, where we train creatives for the career of their lives. In this podcast, we interview amazing artists and creatives working in film, games, and building the metaverse right now. So sit back, relax, and enjoy.
1: all right um so welcome dan thank you for so much for taking the time out i think you said you're you're on a little bit of a holiday so i really appreciate you taking the time
2: yeah thanks for having me uh yeah i'm in scotland at the moment doing a little hiking with my partner first time for us in scotland so really really appreciating the countryside here it's really lovely so yeah Uh,
1: that's that's great so why don't we start um just get the like what do you do because you you're a character artist and you're a character artist at untold studios yeah, um, correct. And still right there. Okay. So Untold Studios is a film, TV and um, an advertising studio, correct?
2: That's correct. Uh, they're still quite new to the business, actually. Uh, I mean, there are many experienced and very talented artists working for Untold Studios. Yeah. But the company is uh, around, I think now for four years, something around that. And um, they're a little, little bit less than a year now. So um, They're really interested in um, getting more into creatures, uh, getting more in the creature pipeline. Like I said, many talented people from The Mill or uh, DNEG or Framestore who have a lot of experience in the the creature department. Uh, Mm -hmm. And yeah, last year I was hired to to join the team uh, to help out on the asset creation. So over there, I'm like a senior creature artist, I'd say.
1: So what does a senior creature artist do? Um, is it, Do you stay only in film side of things? Because uh, I can imagine there's sometimes problems with the, you know, there might not be enough work in the pipeline just there.
2: Yeah. But what do you that, do? That, that's actually actually completely correct. Uh, it's, it's, it's always a great day when we get a new creature job in. But um, yeah. like you said, we, we do a little bit of everything, but I guess... Most of it all, we do mainly commercials and most of the guys, as far as I'm aware, have a commercial background. So that means always a short turnaround, I guess, like when you get like a hero creature or something like that, a project usually never takes longer than three months from beginning to uh, the end. And uh, yeah, so me as a creature artist, what I do is um, depending on the circumstances, Dances. I do modeling, I do maybe some concepting in 3D so meaning ZBrush and later on maybe even some uh, uh, texturing and uh, or even look, look dev so uh, that's why it's this you know that this generalistic term creature artists instead of modeling td or creature modeler or you know texturing artists it's it's you're kind of you kind of become a more of a generalist which i quite find quite refreshing because that means it re- really always depends on the circumstances what you're going to do so you might do some texturing some look dev or whatever so it, it you know you always stay sharp in a way and I, that's what i like quite a bit actually
1: can you define what look dev is? Because I think that's still, at least in my experience, I, I know what it is, but it's kind of amorphous. It's not a known quantity all the time.
2: <laughs> that's a good question. Actually, I'm not mainly a look dev artist, so I'm also just guessing. But from my point of view, it's mainly um, the the behavior of a surface uh, of an object. I would say so that right. you know that is is driven through textures uh so i guess a look dev artist is also to a certain extent a texture artist but also a lighting artist because like when it comes to an object uh you know the the, the texture of the object is important but also how lights and shadows hit that object so i guess you to a certain extent as a look dev artist you're also kind of a generalist so uh, no matter which department you're at i would all, always say you have to you, at least a broad knowledge of uh, the department, you know you need to have a broad knowledge of the department that comes before you and after you so yeah as a look dev artist you're kind of in the middle uh, between texturing and lighting and rendering. I would say so. That yeah. is looked at for me. That's how I would define it, at least. I hope that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I think so. You know, it's it's a kind of a more R and D role. That's pretty much the the consensus I've seen.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Which is great. I mean, you just get to kind of play with stuff. You don't have to deal with, you know, pixel perfect, anything.
2: Yeah. Percent. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's it's to a certain extent, it's it's kind of concepting in a way. You know, yeah. you play. Around with roughnesses and the behavior of objects. So, uh, yeah, so that's what I, what I also started to dive more and more into because mainly my background is modeling, but uh, you know, you start somewhere and you end up in a completely different place. So, at Untold, they mainly have a Houdini pipeline. I've never used Houdini before. I used to use, so, you know, mostly we render with the Mantra rendering engine. And uh-huh. I'm used- I'm used to using Arnold uh, with Maya, which is quite straightforward. And, uh, you know, the more I dive into Houdini, the more I learn, which is great. So uh, which also, you know, elevates your understanding of modeling, because then you know what is what actually a looked at artist is looking for in a model or in the texture. Um, So while you're, you know, while you're modeling, you can almost anticipate what might be needed later on down the pipeline.
1: Right. Yeah, that's, we're actually, um, we're rebuilding our character uh, curriculum mm-hmm. and uh, to go a little bit more in the digital avatar direction. And we're actually building it for Houdini pipeline as opposed to a Maya pipeline, um, you know, because of certain tools like, you know, creating pores. There's a procedural way to create pores where you just kind of lay down guides and it. And it'll you know create create all the pores in the face, yeah. Um, without scan data, without textures, which is just insane.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So many Le- cool there are so many approaches to procedural uh you know asset creation inside of Houdini it's really blowing my mind and to be honest it's quite daunting to me uh, it's mm. it's amazing what more talented artists than me are capable of creating but yeah. uh yeah like you say i'm more used to the old school way uh, of projecting um height detail or something like that um in mari or maybe even uh, zbrush but yeah i mean there, you know Houdini opened a completely new door of uh, approaches, which I, I find quite uh, exciting for, for what's to come in the future.
1: Yeah. What other software do you use?
2: Mm-hmm. It really depends. Um, uh, quite re- So mainly, I guess, what I like to spend most of the time in is definitely ZBrush. It's just Mm. so intuitive. It's great for concepting, but also creating uh, production ready objects. I find during the last couple of years, the the retopology functions they added are amazing. So I don't don't really even feel the need to go to Maya anymore, maybe to fix minor bits and bobs. But uh, yeah, so pretty much ZBrush is my bread and butter. And then um, I tend to use Mari for texturing, but that also quite changed during my time at Untold. So I started to deviate more and more towards uh, a Substance Painter, actually. So many many artists have you know I follow have been using it, and I feel especially when you create textures. Um, you know, you, you, you create something in ZBrush and you just bring it in Substance Painter and the masks you're able to extract from Substance Painter are so amazing. So I used to create my cavity maps and curvature maps and all that kind of stuff in, in ZBrush and then they're mm. baked in, they're kind of set in stone. And then I tend to bring that in Mari, but I feel now with Substance Painter, everything is so much more organic, so uh, so much more intuitive the way you can manipulate uh, masks and the freedom you get from it. Uh, so that, that that also feels quite intuitive to me in a way as uh, ZBrush feels somehow when yeah. it comes to sculpting. Uh, so yeah, I would say mainly ZBrush than Substance Painter. And for personal projects, like I said, I used to use uh, Maya with Arnold, uh, but when it comes to the professional context at Untold, I use Houdini with the Mantra rendering engine. All right. So those are my, my three, three pillars.
1: <laughs> and you got your start, I think, if I'm right, 2014 or was it 2015 when you got your first internship?
2: I think it was some, somewhat around that time, I, w- I was still in university when I got um, offered a role at Rise of X as a mm. asset artist. Um, I always wanted to go into Creatures, uh, as you might pick up from my accent, I'm, I'm from Germany. So that was um, one of one of the few great or big companies uh, in, uh, in Germany. So I was really happy when they you know when they accepted me for an internship and that that then after that it went fluently into a junior role uh so right after my internship so actually i never finished my degree so (laughs) i never went back to university i think oh wow yeah so i think we we have eight eight no let me think i think it's seven no, four years, you have to finish in university in order to make your degree. I think I made three and a half. And yeah, so then I got hired by Rice and became a junior. And from there on, it never you know stopped. So it, it sounds a bit silly, but it, I never really had the time to go back and finish my degree because there was always something a bit more interesting to me around the corner. So uh, Yeah. Maybe I will regret it at some point. Maybe I, maybe at some point I will need that degree, but I managed to get around without that. So yeah, that's all. That's it's great. Going.
1: Yeah, I know students always ask, like, do I have to have that degree? And um, like, I've never heard of a hiring decision based on a degree yet. So that yeah. sounds about right.
2: I think that, I mean, I wouldn't say go without a degree or anything like that. It's just the way it turned out for me. But uh, I definitely think going to university is can be quite important depending on your mindset. I, I, I find that going to university is more important for, um, well, obviously when you have a great mentor or a great tutor, that is, I find it quite rare to get. But if yeah. you have, at least in Germany, um i I can't speak for you know northern america obviously so uh but the most important thing i found is meeting other students and finding similar interests and you know coming up with little work groups to work on little projects together i because it's the closest to later on when you're actually in uh well working in a production working in in a in an actual studio you know there is someone who's might be more interested in texturing the next guy maybe might be more in animation so i found it quite exciting to get to know all these people and do the first bits of networking you know finding lifelong friends and then uh, working on cool stuff together so that it, it was just a fun time back then it wasn't necessarily you know back like back in school someone is standing In front of you and explaining the world—it's more like figuring it out yourself, you know. Kind of, you know. Yeah, it's it's more an organic process, and I really enjoyed it. But um, yeah, after after I started working at Rise, I kinda had a similar a a similar thing, just more in a professional context. Um, So I wasn't I wasn't really looking for that anymore because I found it at another place but it was great at the time that's for sure
1: and it looks like the pandemic didn't uh, affect you too much I mean I'm I'm sitting here looking at your work history and I think it's a great example uh, for us to kind of help people especially since I deal with students so much um, understand kind of you know the how it all works because it looks like there's a you're changing jobs roughly like one and a half years to one year yeah, And um, and I've seen that, you know, really common in the industry and, and uh, whatnot, but it might be a bit of a surprise to somebody who's like, I'm going to get a job at Naughty Dog and stay there forever. Yeah. Um, you know, possible. Uh, but, you know, there's all these other pathways through here. Yeah. Um, so could you talk to us a little bit, like, you know, how does this work? So, you know, you go from Rise, Rise, I think you were at probably... Uh, you were at Rise for two about years. a year, right? Two years?
2: I think, yeah, yeah. When I came back uh, at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, I was working for, uh, for a few other, as a freelancer on the side, I think. In total, I worked there for two years or something like that. But yeah, in total, you're completely right. It's not like you start working somewhere and then you stay there until eternity. I think that's just not... reality unfortunately anymore because i think for certain people that might be perfect uh and i and i get it but uh, i rarely had the situation where i got offered a permanent role uh i don't think that had to do with my skill maybe there are some hot shots out there who get you know hired straight away and get a permanent role but um it's it's actually mostly project based from what i'm concerned or what i've seen so far so roughly let's say a feature film project takes around 3 years uh, to make for a major company um, there are crunch times for certain departments and maybe after a certain time you're just simply not needed anymore on the project you know it's not it's no hard feelings it's just the the reality of the production cycle, mm-hmm. so uh, for modeling, I remember, let's say I've been working on the Lion King uh, at MPC, and I think there was a real crunch time for modeling around maybe one and a half years, and then after it just went on all the other departments. Then it you know got picked up by LookDev for animation or rigging, and uh, that you're quite early. In this production cycle, as an asset creator, so uh, you're only you're not needed for three years, unfortunately. So after right. this time, you either move on to another project inside the company, or you just you know fi- get another offer somewhere else. Um, so so I'm based in London right now, and obviously a big privilege that I have is that all the most of the big visual effects studios are pretty close with another, or to another um, location wise. So that means, um, you know, people come and go. The The industry inside of London is quite small, but um, people work at Framestore, you know, after one and a half years, they go back to MPC, uh, that may, then maybe ILM. So it's just this constant cycle. And yeah, maybe a few lucky ones, they might get a permanent role further down the line, but... Um, I think to a certain extent, it's also a matter of proving yourself, building up your reputation, getting to know more people, do that networking, um, building up your portfolio, obviously, and then maybe at some point, you know, you will be the lucky one who gets a permanent role. But yeah, it's it's not very common, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. Um, And so you've done a lot of things character creature if i go to your instagram there's faces beautiful faces there's um a lot of creature work and then moon knight
2: oh yeah yeah
1: yes thank you
2: (laughs) yeah it was a great project it was at framestore um so i i would say that's definitely you know the top one up there in terms of prestige projects um I would, I would never would have thought that I'd be able to work on a, you know, like such an important Marvel character. And uh, yeah, it's a big privilege, obviously. Yeah. Um, it was quite a small team in terms of asset creation. I'm not sure of how far I can go into details until Framestore you know, releases all the bits and bobs and all the behind the scenes details. Right. But it was quite a small, um, I think we were four modelers in total and um, on a on an episodic project you have a smaller budget a smaller crew than on a feature film marvel project um, that's just yeah the reality and the budget the way it just is set
1: yeah and and there's a there's suits and uh, i think two different suits and then there's creature too
2: exactly yeah so is the way we split it up every artist no, it's not true, actually. But one artist had one major character they had to be working on. So you, you saw in the first episode there was this jackal creature. Uh, yep. that, was, that was taken off by one artist. And then my role was uh, the creation of the main Moon Knight costume. And I think the Mr. Knight costume, which is this dandy kind of looking uh, costume, uh, I think that wasn't even done by Framestore. That must have been—I'm not quite sure. So the thing is, they also build a practical suit. So it might be that this one is actually fully practical. Um, the 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 actual Moon Knight suit has like all these appearing bits and bobs, like those bandages wrapping around his face, that obviously had to be CG. So, but there's also a practical one. So for certain, I think for fast paced shots, they actually built that with a costume designer. Um, and yeah, we work closely with Marvel. So Marvel provided all the, the concepts and then we took it, elevated it hopefully, and then made a production ready uh, model for all the cre- uh, creatures and characters that then yeah could be Picked up from all the other departments. That was definitely quite exciting, and yeah, I was working there for almost a year. I would, I think, yeah. On that project. On that project, or, exactly. Or, yeah.
1: Oh my! So yeah, that's a long development time.
2: Yeah, because it's like such an important character. You make so many iterations. I think I've created that costume at least three or four times. Not from scratch, but. you go really far back and then you know you need to redo uv's retopology so it's it's yeah it's it's quite a lot actually more than you would think
1: Hmm. yeah and so um when uh i want to get back to the lion king so you you (coughs) work excuse me coming up with the cold i still have this little cough coming um so you worked on lion king and um it might work to make a like to unpack that a little bit what does a modeler do you know and and that was kind of a you know it's kind of a watershed um moment to some extent like it gave rise to some virtual production that we're now seeing in mandalorian which was the absolute watershed um but uh you know what were you modeling plants is it lions is different like you know what what part of that is were you kind of in control of
2: so I was at the time I was working in the DMP department because uh, that goes actually back to, you know, my time at Rise Fix. I'll, back in Germany, I always wanted to get into creatures and yeah. but there are not many companies in Germany that actually do creatures and characters. There are a few and they do an amazing job, but because there are just so few, it's really hard to get into so you know my i was mainly doing props and set extensions and that that's just what i had in my portfolio even though i knew i wanted to do something else further down the line Mm -hmm. so i applied with that portfolio with um i think set extensions from man from uncle a guy Ritchie film we worked on at rise and i applied that with that at uh, mpc and got hired to you know create rocks pretty much for one and a half years for this uh, lion king project so as you mentioned uh, there was like a virtual production going on so john favreau or the uh, the uh, camera uh, what's what's the term for camera guy again <laughs> that's that's not very professional that ep <laughs> DP, exactly. Sorry. Yeah. So, so the, the John Favreau and the DP, they would go in uh, and, you know, put on VR glasses and then um, move around really rough proxy geometries, how they would like the set to look like,
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, like really rough uh, triangulated geometry. And then as soon as they were happy, they then would pass that on to MPC, the DMP department. And then we would use those primitive objects to create high-resolution rocks out of it. And, um, yeah, so that's what I've been doing for one and a half years. I, um, so I've, I think my, my the most I've been working on was actually the elephant graveyard. I was... Um, So I was able to help out even with the layout in the beginning and then started to uprest that whole section um, and um, work on minor elephant bones, uh, which was quite cool. Um, I liked it because it was a little bit more moody and a little bit more dark. Is I think, one of my favorite sets of uh, the show. Um, but yeah, like I said, I was hoping secretly that maybe there might be a spot in the creature department at NPC further down the line, which unfortunately didn't happen. So that's why I moved on uh, to the middle later on, uh, where mm-hmm. I got a, a, a character and creature role. Um, yeah, so.
1: And the elephant graveyard. Yeah. There's bones, of course, um, but a lot of it is those rocks too, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So they made, I think they even scanned certain elements of the of the skulls of the elephants. And then we went in and did a lot of uprezzing. Uh, their pipeline is with katana. So there was also a lot of um, procedural elements because even with like certain elements on the on the rocks, you know, there's like fine sand crystals, is really high-res when you look at the actual assets. That is something you unfortunately can't create in ZBrush. So whenever we sculpted something, we did a quite high res version. So we, we went to the breaking point of ZBrush until we exported it and then handed it over to uh, the, DMP, uh, the look dev guys. And they added like all this really fine detail you weren't able to approach in ZBrush.
1: Oh. Texturing, texturing decals,
2: also, yeah, but also um, uh, scattering was a big thing. So you ah. used to have, you have like a whole library of very fine, you know, like I said, crystals or like really pebbles or something like that, really fine. Um, stones that you used to add on top of your actual high res Z brush geometry. And yeah, obviously then there is a look at guy who, you know, tries to work with the masks to make them, make the model to appear even sharper than it already is to get like, you know, this crisp um, look you see in the final film later on.
1: Got it. And even with um, advertising, some of this work can be pretty uh, advanced now I think right I mean are we seeing like a are we seeing advertising and some of these companies get more sophisticated with their usage um, and I'm I'm specifically looking at Frito-Lay and that deer yeah that's pretty that's a lot of work
2: <laughs> it is yeah and the crazy thing is on Frito-Lay yeah I think the turnaround was somewhat around four to three months so yeah quite wow it was, it was for the Super Bowl, the last Super Bowl, actually. And ah. uh, so we had that deadline. You know, it had to be delivered till then. And they had eight creatures, um, which were quite hero, so really detailed. And like you said, they all had uh, a skeleton underneath. They had a muscle system for CFX. So they, you know, you get the simulation of muscle movement. And then on top you had a high res uh, a skin pass, which um, you know the modeler sculpted. I I was taking care of a deer, like you said, and uh, it was mainly observing references. Pretty much, the client provided us. I think they even made made like a maquette or something. uh, They put on the set to give us like a lighting reference. and, and even, I think the maquette also had some fur, so we also could extract some information for the look dev of the groom later on. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so I was taking care of the anatomical model, the skeleton, uh, the, the, the skin model, and then also the blend shapes later on. And I think we were four to five... Uh, People working on the on these characters actually, like I say, characters uh, three to four months, quite a quite a tight turnaround to come up with something like this. So it was it was really based on the shots. I think if you would take a really close look at you know certain bits of those models, those wouldn't probably hold up as much as the I don't know creatures as like in The Lion King, which had like a way longer produ- production cycle. So I guess with commercials, it's always it's the shot-based work is more important than you know creating a very nice photorealistic asset. So all those cameras had to be locked in place. So we knew, for instance, there's this shot where the deer gets like really close to the camera. So I had to uprest the entire nostril section uh, as we knew we would see that. Other bits might not be important as the feed, for instance. So, and, you know, you you always pick your battles in a way and really base it on um, what we get provided on a a storyboard base.
1: Yeah, I'm looking at this moment where the nostrils flare um, Hmm. and and it gets close, Um, but you you don't see the back, like there's no shots that are heavy on the back.
2: Yeah, exactly. So, for instance, uh, I think... With furry creatures, groom is the most important bit. It's not really that important. If I make like a nice uh, skin pattern underneath, you might never see it. it you know, it just gives you a fulfillment as a modeler, but the groom is the most important bit. And same approach, they really went based on the shots, and like i said you don't you might not see the back as much so there's maybe a little bit love that goes back into that so um it really depends what you see but the groom artists are the real heroes on that project i would say
1: Hmm. yeah that looks amazing and then um so you've got a bunch of other stuff and a lot of creature uh work you got the iguana oh my god that's a lot of scales
2: yeah yeah and the right yeah, exactly. yeah yeah so on the 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 i think you mean the komodo dragon right or iguana uh, yeah or is it, yes yeah, komodo yeah. dragon my bad no no it's okay um so that one was for the mill actually and um it's pretty much <laughs> i was just describing this whole process of how we approach it in commercial that you go more shot based There was actually a funny project where we ended up to not have all the cameras in place at the time so the director wanted some freedom on how he would approach certain camera angles and that sort of stuff but we knew we had to start on the assets asap at the time so um I was speaking to my supervisor at the time, it was quite a small team, it was um, Joao, who's still working at the mill, who's a really talented creature, modeler as well, uh, who was taking care of the hyenas, There's another point uh, of that commercial. And I was taking care of the Komodo dragon, so those were the main creatures. Mm-hmm. and. Um, So my supervisor at the time just said like, yeah, well, we go to the London Zoo. We're going to take some references based on, you know, they have some, um, uh, I think, baby Komodo dragons or something like that. But we wanted something a little more aggressive. But still, it was a great, great point of reference uh, for all the scales we had to create somehow. Mm -hmm. And um, so I said to my supervisor, you know, there are two ways how we can approach it. Uh, it seems we don't have a, a storyboard yet. Um, we can either use something like XYZ textures and project mm-hmm. scales. But though I mean, in terms of level, it's insane what you get with those texture packages, but you're quite limited to what you actually can create because it's, you know, they, they're extracted from actual animals. So um that means you you just have, you have certain creative limitations with those scales you get. Mm-hmm. The first approach was, let's go in and project all that. Might be the easy way, quite straightforward. Many studios do it like that. Or the other alternative would be to go in and sculpt all those scales by hand. And um, at the time, the mill wanted to also push a little bit more for the creature pipeline. So they said, you know, screw it. We might make a breakdown later on. Uh, might be a nice showcase for us in our pipeline. Let's go in and you know sculpt this entire thing up by hand. So that's what I ended up doing. So um, I gathered all those references we got from the London Zoo. Uh, really close-ups uh, of all the scale scale petruring. Um and I. Projected them roughly, all those images, onto a rough model. And then, based on that, I extracted masks by painting in by hand, you know, wherever a, a crease might be between scales. So, if you do that across the entire model, you end up with a pretty nice flow, a quite organic flow across the entire creature where all those scales run along and occasionally they. Change up patterning. So sometimes they they are a little bit more circular, but then they move in a somewhat square-like um, patterning. And um, we, you know, because everything is painted by hand, you're in and t- you're able to go in and take um, liberties with it. You can make changes to it. So that's what I ended up doing. So I created ma- a mask for a scale mask for the entire creature. We have painted it by hand, and then um, has a pretty cool function in uh, ZBrush under the modifiers, the deformation. Defo- I think it's called deformation. There's, it's called inflation. So you paint a mask, let's say, in the, in, the, in the shape of a sphere or a circle, and the unmask area can then be inflated, so that automatically gives you Somewhat of a shape, of a scale already. Mm -hmm. So that's what I ended up doing across the entire thing. I created, painted the mask, and then made an inflation. Mm -hmm. That inflation, then you can put on a layer to dial it back in or out, depending on how how intense it should look. Mm -hmm. And then you have a pretty good guideline or a pretty good base to add an extra layer on top for some tertiary detail, some very fine breakup or something like that. Yeah. so that, that was the approach to that creature and at the time i was really slow i think i think i was a little bit too cocky i was like yeah sure i can do it i can paint that and i ended up my my, my supervisor obviously took my word for it and uh, then i had to deliver it and um, <laughs> I, ended <up> doing, <laughs> I ended up doing quite a lot of overtimes but um somehow I find I enjoy that process it's it's a it's it's a little bit zen in a way Um, I think whenever you do something artistic there's some there's a phase where you where you're really creative and uh, you know come up with ideas but then there are other times where you just do the labor work and you just you know do a lot of repetition whether it's pause when you look at you know approaches like um, how Chris Costa does his pores, for mm-hmm. instance. He, he, he stops in every paw bit by bit. I'm not saying I'm as good as him or anything like that, but I'm just saying it can be part of a creative process where you put on a podcast, zone out a little bit, and just do you know the repeti- uh, repetitive work in a way. So um, that's what I did there. And um, after I did this first Creature, I did many more reptilian creatures afterwards and uh, always used that process and it kept on getting faster and faster and faster and now it's quite intuitive and uh, yeah it's just uh i I think other people i do have a similar approach to it i think they at times might be a little bit smarter where they create their own masks procedurally in the forehand going back (laughs) to Houdini or something like that i think their approaches which can be a little bit faster but this is just my approach so it works for me
1: it's interesting though because i you know we're in the age of proceduralism right and um you know so even gosh even 10 years ago like when we were building pipelines uh, 15 almost 20 years ago now we're building pipelines for ilm yeah. you know they were looking for a little bit more procedural you know processes or at least we were Um, but I remember, you know, some of those guys that I worked with in the early days, they were, they're like old, old hands at this. Like some of them came from practical effects and, uh, they weren't afraid of the work. They Mm -hmm. knew at the end of the day, you know, you just muscle down and, you know, get, get in and, you know, might take time, but it'll get done and it'll get done well.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah exactly I think I think there are two approaches to it the one is more technical and mm-hmm. maybe more elegant in a way and smarter maybe as well but then there is also this nice traditional artistic approach and I think both have a place in our industry it's it's just whether or not you know <laughs> your supervisor or your lead is happy with that approach but uh, I think it's the best is probably You know, if you're able to find the middle line, if you're somewhat technical, but also keep your artistic traditional roots, um, that's what I find at least. But because you say ILM, I think with the Jurassic World projects, I think they do all those scales procedurally nowadays in Houdini, actually. What I've heard is they have masks, so you paint. certain colors and depending on the colors you get a a certain patterning, which is a little bit uh, smaller or bigger depending on the map you painted so all that sounds amazing it's just we didn't have that pipeline at the time and it would probably need a lot of r&d that runs into that to come to that time but especially with commercials you work in really small teams and there are never really down times where you where, where you get the time to elevate your pipeline as much as like in big studios mm. it's, it's just the nature but um there's always something new coming in and you have to find a a fast and smart decision how you wrap your head around a certain problem at the end it's just problem solving but um yeah, we, at the time, we just haven't had that uh, amazing uh, pipeline that ILM has, so yeah.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I don't think, like back then, there, there was no, I mean, Houdini was still yeah. there, but there was no, the, that procedural process <laughs> didn't work. But like, there's a talk, I forget who it is, but there's a talk um, that walks through how Houdini's used to do those skin pores, like I was talking about earlier. And, um, you know, so now these systems, like these are super advanced, but they're actually like, they're just out now, like in the last year, Um, you know, and so they probably like, they're not commodified. And, you know, I mean, having somebody who can build that on staff, like that's not somebody you just have hanging around. Um, And I remember this, uh, this Instagram post by um, Andrew Ariza, is it Andrew that yeah andrew a reason he did like about six months a year ago he did these like amazing wood um skulls these wood uh deers and he just did these like really crazy wood pieces and i was like oh my god i need to find out what material that is (laughs) yeah and then i was looking through it and i was like you know you go a little deeper he sculpted all that stuff in zbrush
2: crazy
1: yeah it's nuts. and so I was talking to a friend of mine who's a Houdini expert at applied intuition. Right. Um, and, he, and I was like, Hey, can you uh, make me a material <laughs> uh, <laughs> like this? <laughs> Save me the week of sculpting. And he's like, man, you know, to do that stuff procedural, I, it's just, it's so much of an investment to make that stuff happen, but yeah. talent can get in and sculpt it, you know, reasonably fast.
2: Well, well, it's I think it's as much talent to come up with the script to create something procedural like that. Oh, this is care. like completely another you know realm to me. But I, I think you just need to have some technical base. I just don't have that. Someone else might be faster approaching it that route. You know that might be. But uh, I mean, what what is your approach? Are you able to come up with procedural? I don't know. Whatever it is, poor scales or something like that. Are you that good of a scripter to come up with something like that, or would you go in and sculpt something like that at the end of the day in ZBrush yourself by hand?
1: Having had a hand in the development of ZBrush, I'd you know <laughs> be inside of
0: ZBrush
1: <laughs> myself. Yeah. Um, but I am looking at that now, and we are building you know those pipelines at the um, at the school you know for tool builders. Because becoming right. a tool builder in Houdini and Unreal is one of the fastest pathways to a career, so we are building that. Yeah, um, but it is a different. It's a different part of your brain.
2: Yeah, exactly. So, is it, is it, is it hard getting into it? <laughs> because yeah, I'm I'm, for, I'm for really a little daunted, to be honest. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. But you know, the thing that's interesting about this to me is that sculpting is also procedural. So I, I did a class like a couple of years ago to kind of demystify Houdini. Mm-hmm. And we used the example of a of a stalagmite. Or was it a uh-huh. stalag- Is a stalagmite, something that might reach the ceiling. Cave. And uh, I had somebody develop the the net the, the Houdini network, which is basically they they discovered what the base shape was which was like a little, little circle with tendrils you know, uh, pointing down. And then they built a system that um, repeated that a certain amount of times around in a circle and then varied that as it moved up in Y. Well, and, um, and then had little pieces of, you know, of it kind of cut out, um, so to speak. And in the development of that, I was looking at it and I was like, you know, this person found like they found the a, a core shape, they repeated that core shape, and it was like this is a lot like artistic anatomy. You know, it's very procedural.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. That that reminds me of uh the time at NPC. Um there was something I didn't really understand at the time. Um, um why so I was I started quite early in the DMP department. I was playing around with Nano Mesh in ZBrush. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found it interesting because I knew ZBrush quite well. I think another Houdini artist might be able to create the same tool, in, which would be way nicer. But to me, obviously, ZBrush felt more intuitive. So I started creating. Uh, those uh, sand crystals that that I mentioned earlier that they tend to use in Katana later on in the rendering. Okay. So uh, I created a whole library of procedural um, models. Uh, and then I did the base volume, s- sculpted some rock. Like I said, it was in the early days, it was um, R&D. So just some simple rock. I think I went in with a trim brush, created some volume. And then what I ended up doing is creating masks based on angles and those gave me directions. And then as soon as I had the directions, I was able to create nano mesh, create nano with those uh, sand crystals and then scattered them around those, on those masks. And because I had those separated on all those angles and all those masks, groups i was then able to go in and manipulate them individually Uh, so i what i'm trying to say is i definitely understand the the importance of it because i felt at the time with nanomesh and zbrush i could only go that far there is something i can create here and it's it opens it was, it was amazing to be playing around with Nanomesh. And I think then I started, I think they have this array mesh as well. So mm-hmm. you, then you could combine it and modify all those scattered elements. But And I, and I, pre, I, I wrote down a whole Wikipedia page. Uh, I think it's still at MPC. And I pr- presented it to my supervisor and I showed it to him and said, like, look what we can do now. Like We can create all this detail and then he said, like, yeah, that's pretty cool, but it's it's so it's so complicated in its own way because Zebra, I don't know, you, you kind of have to enjoy Zebra and be a sculptor to approach it like that. He just said, I think we can just do the same approach in Houdini way faster, unfortunately. And to me, it was quite of a bummer because I thought, oh, that would have been cool to implement that in the... NPC pipeline, but um, I think, yeah, I think unfortunately it wasn't there at the time. And um, like you, what you said with Houdini, I think that is actually the next step. ZBrush unfortunately could only go that far, and I think that's where Houdini picks up and is able to create all those um, elements that you just explained, like those uh, crystals and all that. So. Yeah. Um, I found it, it frustrating at the time, but that that gave me more and more a feeling that I should learn Houdini.
1: Yeah, I th- it did the same thing like I went kind of nuts once an- Nano Mesh was out. So it's like t- 2016, if I remember right. Yeah. <laughs> and exactly. um, so yeah, so I started doing these generative portraits and generative artwork like this artist named Sergio Albiak.
2: Yeah, I remember and- I saw those. Yeah. I
1: I was just like, I was in love, you know, but I was also limited and I did these like videos and I explained this process and you know, nobody was interested. It's like a hundred views for some of this stuff. And it was like, oh, that's so complicated. And then it was like, some of the things were based on like a a weird behavior that happens if you set it down, if you set a slider to zero, so they weren't predictable. Yeah. But they were cool. And then, you know, it all just was an introduction that pointed to the fact that, you know, this is coming, and, uh, you know, zebras might not be like the conduit, but there's power and Houdini has now kind of come forward. And I think they've come into their own a lot. Yeah.
2: And the, the upside that Houdini has as well, it's more pipeline friendly at the end of the day. So totally. it's easier to learn, learn for artists. It's easier to create a script and implement it. I don't know any person who can do this Z script. Do you can? Can you do that script or whatever
1: it's called? I, I can, yeah. And I know people that wow. do it, but why why would you, right? <laughs> Just use Python. <laughs>
2: At the Put time it, at NPC, I was at the point where I really wanted to learn it because I knew there is something that could have been achieved with that here. But yeah, I, I hit a wall. Yeah. unfortunately,
1: it, uh, you know it, there is some great stuff. But like the way Ofer built it is ZScript is if if you can do something in the interface, then you can you can kind of script it and you can create some some behavior. Um, yeah. But then the other thing he opened up is he opened up uh, dynamic link libraries DLLs. And yeah. so then, that's where you could take data out of ZBrush, process it, and then bring it back. So, like, I think, um, was it Decimation Master? Do I have ZBrush open right now? Um, I think Decimation Master, like, that's a DLL. Um, yeah. It takes the data out of ZBrush, puts it into, you know, a library that's gonna give you the topology and sends that back. Yeah. Uh, but that's, you know, Absolutely. I never got that far. I just knew how to do the ZScript
2: stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you just have to be somewhat of a scripter in nature to uh, to get into it easily. Unfortunately, that's not me. So, yeah.
1: yeah. All right. So now um, let's do this because we're running up right on our time. And um, one of the things I would love to ask you, I like to ask everybody, uh, is yes. just you know what is looking at the industry now specifically character, right? And and I love you know that you've got all this experience in film, you've got it in. Um, advertising. So uh, what do you think character artists need to focus on today? If they're just starting today, you know, and one of the throughputs that I have here is like, you know, is sculpting as important and you know, what are the things that we focus on? Because one of my students just got a job at Naughty Dog. And he's like, yeah, he's like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to sculpt or we're going to get involved in sculpting. And it's a scan focused pipeline. Yeah. Totally you know wasn't what he was expecting, but you know yeah. um, things are changing, so in your mind right now, you know if somebody's starting out, what should they be focused on
2: it's really hard it's, it's a really good question, but also a really tough one because it really depends what you want to do if, if you if you ask creature artists um, mm-hmm. I would say uh, so what they focus should focus on, um, I would say. It it sounds kind of cheesy, and I get. I guess you hear that all the time. But look at nature, observe, um, because. I've been a creature artist for quite a long time, but for quite a short time, I've been a creature artist professionally. So the difference is before I, I think before I became a professional creature artist, I just wasn't very good in comparison to the other ones in the industry. So it's a really tough business to get into anyway. Like really a lot of people want to do it as soon as they start to pick up ZBrush, they want to do dragons and stuff, which because of course they are fun and cool, but, In the early days, I think I just was too overwhelmed by it because I had no limitations in that brush. So I just went in, created crazy dragons. I could add scales and spikes and whatever I wanted to my creature, Um, but they didn't look very convincing. And I think that's where observing nature comes in. So I took a step back and i went in and looked in creatures like animals and how they work and as soon so i started sculpting a lot of creatures until i had like an understanding of bipedal creatures uh, quadrupeds and all that kind of stuff and then i went in and started to combine anatomy so maybe just two species, maybe a lion and a crocodile, and a try where try to find the similarities and try to figure out how could that work as a creature on its own if you combine those. Mm. So instead of going in and going mad and crazy and creating like all those crazy things, take a step back, um, play it simple. Just add two or three creatures max, and then try to make it organic and logical. So I wrote down a name because I, I'm really bad with names. Uh, so I wanted to give a shout out at Terrell uh, Whitelatch, I think it's. Oh name. yeah, yeah, Star Wars.
1: Terrell. Yeah, exactly. Uh,
2: I think everyone knows her. I'm the only one who you know can't remember a name. Uh, really sorry about that, but. She has that approach where I, I got all her books and she goes into this philosophy where she just says, come up with a background story to your character. And I think that's pretty much what all the great creatures uh, we know nowadays have. They come up with a uh, back, back story, maybe even with a life cycle or something like that. And then go from there, what, are, what is the terrain your creature lives in like all that stuff you Mm -hmm. would you would you would usually get from a client you know you might get a concept design or a script from a client and then you go from there but when you you know when you start out doing creatures um you're doing it on your own you're working on your portfolio so um you have to come up with all that stuff yourself so limitate yourself you know find limits set boundaries um come up with a very simple story Uh, and then observe creatures look at references and um, then try to find over time your own style Um, and that's where it becomes tricky I guess but that's that's just a matter of doing it over and over again but there will be a point where you just have your own style and you find your own spin on your creature designs as well well and um From Because like sculpting, I guess everyone can learn. It's just a matter of hours you put into it. Mm -hmm. Same goes for texturing. But I think finding your own voice um, through your designs is the hardest bit. I mean, I'm even struggling with it. And uh, there are many, many creatures I don't have on my portfolio for a good reason. So um, failing is a big part of it. Mm. I hope that makes sense. I hope I didn't go too, you know, was not a too big answer for for you
1: no that it makes a lot of sense and and i think um you know it harkens to software software and a lot of people focus on software and they're like hey look what i can do in x right and i can do it in this much time yeah but but the thing that matters is you know can you make it look like x and yeah. what is your core foundational skills? And I think that's a really good point to bring up, you know, are you training your eye? Cause it's not about, Hey, I did it in five hours. It's like, you know, does it look like what it's supposed to look like? Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. All right. Dan, Sorry. thank you so much for taking the time, my friend. Great. Yeah, to meet
2: thanks you. for having me. Yeah. Great to meet you.
1: <laughs> All right. Take care of yourself.
2: And you bye-bye. Bye.